Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel we have Alan Weimar. Hello. And me, Sasha Wolf. And as usual, we have a special guest. And this week we have with us Felipe Cabasso. And I practiced that name so many times before. So, uh, Felipe, why don't you tell our listeners why you're here and what we are going to talk about today? Hey everyone, I wrote a blog post a couple of weeks ago or months. I, I can't even remember. Time is a bit relative. And I've wrote an Elixir post about how to secure your code base using some things that come in with, uh, with Mix and other dependencies that can be useful for you, uh, mainly focused on security and code safety. Nice. Yeah. I'm not sure if you actually ever had like an episode on security on Elixir Mix before, maybe before my time, but it's definitely a topic I feel isn't talked that much in the community about it's more of like yeah everybody is like yeah security is important right <laughs> but i feel not a lot of people are talking about it so how did you what's the story behind this blog post and like how did you consider to say hey i, I want to write something about this i want to give people maybe a bit of a little, little bit more insight and and this is something i'm, I'm excited about so may, maybe give a little bit of a backstory there sure so in the past i worked for a company called talkdesk I'm based in Portugal. And while I worked there, I was part of the SRE team. And I started developing some tooling around secret sharing, around finding if GitHub had uh, secret keys in the repos, in our repos specifically. So a bunch of those small small tools. And that's when I kind of figured, okay, the tooling for this area is not that big. It, it felt lacking at that point in time, and it, it still feels a bit lacking. Fortunately, Elixir is actually way above and beyond a lot of the tools I've, I've worked with. And yeah, I, I just see security kind of being seen as a, a second thought when in reality, whenever something happens, it's way more serious than, than it should, and it's preventable. That's the other part that it, it kind of drove me to research a bit more is that most of the things we hear about and most of the leaks and most of the issues we hear, um, they were actually preventable either by better security practices by employees, which is usually the number one cause, but also code-wise security, which usually it's just relegated to a second thought of, okay, we'll do it later. The feature is way more important instead of solidifying the code a bit. And I think in part it's due to the people think there's a brick wall to actually achieve it. In some languages, probably, but at least in Elixir, we live in an ecosystem with highly skilled uh, developers that actually contribute extremely good content and extremely good libraries, and we should be aware of them and just use them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to be honest, I, I'm also kind of guilty of that. <laughs> so, like, okay, they're thinking this is like this, this brick wall thing, and yeah, maybe, 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 maybe another time, right? And, and there's always the the time pressure in the back of your neck even when you maybe don't do like agency work but product work there's so much more you could be doing so i can totally relate to that <laughs> and i'm gonna out myself i guess here but <laughs> no no it's i think that's completely normal everyone kind of feels that security is kind of a whale it's a massive thing with a lot of subjects but like everything in 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 our well in our area of, of work, if you don't boil it down and try to simplify it a bit, it becomes way too massive to handle. It becomes way tricky to start. And I think for that stuff like there's a list of vulnerabilities called a WASP that's released each year. For example, even starting with that, looking at the top 10 list of what are the most common and most, most critical vulnerabilities or considered 
more critical vulnerabilities, even just skimming that and think and thinking, okay, have I done the code that protects from this? Even if you still need to keep it as a second thought, because again, companies kind of product focused companies really push to deliver features versus delivering something secure. That's the reality. And they also get it. It's, it's product needs to move fast. I kind of get that pain. But at the same time, if the developer himself and or herself kind of keeps in mind, okay, Am I kind of protecting myself against a wasp? And uh, that kind of starts the ball rolling of, okay, now I know a bit of a wasp. Can I, how do I dig deep? Uh, what can I do to in, ensure that my coding is better and better and better as I move on? Because then a wasp becomes, well, routine. There will be an, another, another thing and you can deepen your knowledge. So I think it really comes to that, boiling down and simplifying a bit the subjects and finding those lists of this is what I need to tackle. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Something came into my head recently. Like I, yeah, I, I think that so many people do put security kind of way back in their mind, but I think there's, I don't know, maybe I'm just too crazy about it, but there's some things like I don't, I don't joke around with that security. Like I get really, really pissed off when I see some stuff. Like usually I think I'm pretty, yeah, I think Sasha's looking at me like I'm usually I'm pretty calm, but like sometimes I get some stuff put in front of me. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And they know it's like, if they didn't know any better, I'm not going to be angry at them. I just, okay, then you need to know about this, this, this. But if they know better, that's what really like ticks me off like crazy because it's like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Like, uh, maybe this isn't directly security related necessarily, but could be used to take down your site. I think everybody knows that you have a finite amount of atoms you can put into your app, right? Unless you increase that limit. I know a Luxor developer who's working with me on a project for quite some time. He knowingly put in string to Adam, and I told him you should use to existing Adam, and he's trying to justify to me that it's okay. And this is, I mean, it's one thing if it's somewhere where you know you're going to always get a right Adam, you know, it's not the right thing to do. But another thing is this was in part of, a, of an importing uh, part of a section of a program where you're going from something to like an enum, which would easily crash your app, right? Like maybe it's not directly security, but it could be exploited, right? No, that in theory, that's, Part security, right? Because you've just opened up a door for an exploit, which would be just completely destroy your VM. If anyone outside the, of the company, so I can give an, a kind of an example of that. So some, I think it was one year or two years ago, there was a leak on a leak for Circle CI, if I'm not mistaken, where basically a lot of uh, repositories were leaked, private repositories. Now imagine someone looked at your code and understood, okay, there's actually dynamic generation of atoms being uh, happening here. That could trigger a DDoS that actually sends you data that can destroy completely your service. It will take you quite a bit of time to fix it up, probably, if that, that underlying structure is being used in a lot of places. So in theory, it could take you down for a couple of days. <laughs> and a couple of days in SaaS talk and, and business talk it's a lot of money. It, it's a lot of clients that will be hungry. It's a lot of customers that won't join because they heard about service tax being down and a lot of employees you need to give, give back money. So even those ideas of what exploits exist within my ecosystem, and we could say that dynamic generation of atoms is a quirk of the beam, but it can be used as a security exploit. It could be used to, to completely destroy your service. So it's it's a really valid concern, and I would say it's a security flaw if someone uses string to atom, basically. Yeah, it's and it's a, a really easy catch on doing a string to existing atom. The beam even offers really good alternatives to that, and just not use, <laughs> don't use string to to atom in most scenarios. I I think it's really get away from that. <laughs> well, even besides uh, beam stuff, right? Just another like that's not just 
sorry, it's again, I got a lot of stuff happening in my daily job, right? Something else that came up was like they wanted to let users uh, paste HTML directly into this a text editor uh, that we have. Yeah, exactly. That was my face. I just said, no, it's not going to happen. Oh, but this is POC. No, I said, no, not going to happen. No. Like, even if it's only for us, what do you think most hacks come from? From with internal, I think, right? You just like, hey, Hey Bob, just paste this into the thing for me. Yeah, well, that's what happens, right? I don't, I don't even trust myself, right? So this is not going to happen unless we have a perfect way of sanitizing stuff. I'm not going to let it come through. Like that's, uh, that's why I'm super crazy about this uh, security. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can imagine the next step where you could go, okay, now let's load all of that as an iframe. If we get, if we get an, H, an HTML or an HTTP thing, let's load it as an iframe in the next feature in one year. And everyone forgets, so, okay, anyone could actually have any kind of exploit here. And iframes are not the securest thing ever. So it, it really becomes a, a compounding problem, right? Because one feature might be good that way, but then you start, we're working on products that grow over time. So you might actually add up more and more compounding problems that end up in a big security breach that you didn't expect when you first designed the first thing. So it's really tricky. It's something that should be top of the mind, or if not top of the mind, at least you should have highly, highly, and that in the top of a list of, I need to think about this when I push code. That's it. I just want to point out something like Alan just said he doesn't trust himself. And I just think that's quote worthy. <laughs> I, I, if you, do you really trust yourself, Cody? No, 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 you think I don't, you can do everything right the first time? Even the 20th time, I know I don't do something wrong. Uh, which is why I'm a big fan of testing, but I just felt so quote and meme worthy. I just said <laughs> um, if, if there's any developer that says that they fully trust their code, either they're lying or they're overconfident, then that will bite yeah, them the, sooner or later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, sorry, just one more thing. Like, <laughs> I, you ever go to a meeting, like, everybody else has got an iPad, a laptop. Uh, whatever they have, all these different electronic devices, and I'm the only one there besides the other developers with pen and paper. It's crazy. It's like we actually know how bad technology is and how much it could fail. That you could see all the tech guys all have pen and paper because they know that it won't fail, and we know that it's not buggy, etc. Else, it's like the joke about yeah, yeah I no, laughed, she laughed, the toaster laughed, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I would it's believe not that only the toaster laughed. I can imagine nowadays it's basically okay. We'll. Will notes sync to the cloud because there's probably some CRDT algorithm that will fail, and I won't be able to have my meeting notes. Pen and paper don't need that CRDTs, and <laughs> they, they don't need conflict resolution. They just need a couple of eyes in the pen. So probably that's why developers just go, "Okay, let's keep it simple." Please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I talked I, to this I, guy I, who actually had a remarkable tablet, and he's like, "Yeah, it was great until I had a meeting and I needed the notes, and then I ran out of battery. Never again. I'm going back to pen and paper." Sorry, just one more anecdote. I can totally relate to that. I feel like the longer you're in this industry, the more you distrust tech in general. Like everything is broken, everything. <laughs> but yeah, and I, what we just talked about, and like the string to Adam, I it binds to something nicely, which which I think was worthy pointing out is that at least from my personal experience as somebody who is not. Super Super close with like security things. When I actually do read about certain exploits, it's usually a series of steps which combined make something happen, right? Like each of those steps potentially might seem totally harmless, right? But combined, they actually open up the door. So maybe 
this string to Adam, yeah, the worst thing that can happen, you think, is like crushing your, crushing your VM. And that is in of itself is also already not kind of nice. But who knows what else there might be undiscovered, which then combines into an exploit of some kind. And that is, I think, true, I feel like, for every kind of elaborate exploit. Yeah, and that's, uh, let's imagine the following. Imagine that you blow up the BBM using that exploit. Now imagine that your platform, platform provider doesn't handle that kind of failure gracefully and starts to, I don't know, do some weird stuff and, and keep doors open or, I don't know, something weird. And then the attacker knows about it. So he can exploit that to get a bit more information. And then the attacker can go another barrier and another barrier. So we're not working in isolated systems, right? We, we want to believe that everything is our own code. They're not our own code. We're running our own code with a bunch of abstractions on top of someone else's code with a ton of abstractions, <laughs> on top of some, on, on some hardware with a ton of abstractions, it just compounds and compounds and compounds to a way bigger thing than, than the developer usually thinks about. And that's why you should really take care of your garden first, then think about every, everyone else's garden, but be sure that your garden is taken care of before starting to shout, okay, I don't know, service X, Y, and Z are bad because they don't know how to deal with X, sick term or whatever, when in reality, probably that only happened because your garden was, well, really full of holes and <laughs> real, really shady code and really bad. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of going into the direction what I also wanted to mention is what, what is kind of for me sometimes scary about security is, at least from my personal experience, there are so many unknown unknowns, you know? So many things I don't know that I don't know. I very much still remember this one time where we were building an application that was like an ad agency. Doesn't really matter the details, but we had one guy who was really like knee deep and had had deep into all the security stuff. And he explained, "Hey, this like this this password check over there, uh, it's actually vulnerable to a timing attack." And I was like, "What what 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 the frick is that?" <laughs> <laughs> right, and then I read up, and I was like, "Wait, you can do that!" Right, right? for everybody who's not familiar with a timing attack, this is basically the idea is that the the closer you get to the actual like kind of like password or like to a comparison, the longer the response takes, even if it's only like a few nanoseconds, and that is something you can measure about hundreds and hundreds of requests. So you can actually figure out the closer you get to that particular to that particular thing you want to compare it to. What you want to do usually in those cases is you want to have like a comparison method which is like constant time, like every time, regardless of like how close or how far away you are. But those are things, I, when, I, when I first learned about it, I was like, what the fuck, this can be done? Like, I, I would have never thought of that. And that is what I mean. Like, that is something where I, I didn't even know that I didn't know. And there are probably a bazillion more things I don't know about, which are potentially relevant for security, some more obscure, some, some not. And I wanted to ask you, Philippe, also, what, what would you recommend people do to maybe at least somewhat close the gap? I would assume tools like Sobolaw would be a good start, but what beyond that? So first of all, I want to, to say something which is hackers are the most creative people ever. <laughs> if you So first thing you can do is follow a bunch of hacking accounts because they're worth it. You'll find, uh, if you don't know any of them, I'm trying to remember, there's a really good conference about hacking uh, Defcon, where I think it's Defcon, they have the most hilariously dangerous stuff you can imagine. 
I, I remember some years ago they hacked a pacemaker wireless, uh, wirelessly. <laughs> you can kind of, and then you hear how they do it, and it's via RF radios, via sound, via some really weird stuff that you'd never imagine. So first of all, try to put yourself in the mind of, of an hacker. Of, try to see how creative people are to actually achieve what they need to do. <laughs> so that, I, that would be the first step. Be curious about the weird stuff people actually do to achieve their goals. For research purposes, for fun purposes, it's actually quite interesting. It's a really cool community to, to follow. The next thing I would say, yeah, Elixir focused. My first go-to would be really security focused, would be Sublo. So with Credo, you might actually have some tips. For example, uh, if you have Credo, it won't allow you to do the two string, sorry, string to atom. It will see it as a dangerous thing, but usually it's just low, I wouldn't say low priority, but kind of easy to catch. So Credo has a bunch of rules that already help you out. And it's, well, Credo is a low barrier because it's a really known tool and used tool within the Elixir community. After that, yeah, so below it's insanely good. It actually prevents a bunch of things, not only at the Elixir code level, but also Ecto. So you actually are able to uh, avoid some uh, SQL injection and some other vulnerabilities in, in the Ecto side. There's also uh, cross-site scripting that can be caught in Phoenix templates. So that's another big win. And there's just a list of a bunch of libraries that Sobelo actually allows you to protect against and vulnerabilities that, that are possibly to write in them. So yeah, Sobelo is the first one you'd go, okay, add the dependency, mix install, mix Sobelo. Let me see what ha- what's currently in my source code. And then when you see a list of, it actually gives you a list of uh, explaining, okay, this is medium severity, this is high severity, this is low severity. Maybe filter them out by high severity. Sobolo also supports that filtering and setting up rules on does this fail, uh, does this exit with one, with an error, if it's high, low, medium, whatever. So you can set up all all those rules. Maybe run it with high, see what's happening in your code. And after that, research a bit. Don't start to fix it up. Don't, Don't think about fix it up. Check, okay, what is... Uh, I've just appeared, uh, I don't know, 10 errors. Three or four of them are cross-site scripting attacks. Okay, let me read about what a cross-site, uh, cross-site scripting attack is. Then, okay, now I have two SQL injections. Okay, let me check what SQL injections really are. And maybe there's even an Elixir blog post somewhere from someone else saying, okay, Ecto, avoid Ecto injection attacks. Why is it an injection attack, etc. So... That would be my first step. Run it in your code, in a code base you really know well. See what Sobolo, for example, gives you. And if it gives you, okay, a list of 10 high things, yeah, check them and think about fixing them. <laughs> but first thing is really get informed about what each, uh, each thing really means. Runaway screaming is the next step, right? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that cover and cry for a bit, <laughs> and after that, yes, yeah, start start breathing and fixing. <laughs> okay, Alan, I'm actually curious. Do you have any? I mean, like you you, you already shared your story about string to Adam. Is there any other like security related story from your from your professional experience as a developer, with which? which there's a, a lesson to be learned from, let's say that. I think my big lesson to be learned is if you somebody says they have lots of experience, don't believe them. Just <laughs> Really, um, that's like, I found, you know, I had these experts come in and I was told to listen to them. They bring lots of experience. They're, they cost two times as much as I cost. And I was just shocked at the amount of crap they bring in, bad code and also bad practices and everything else. 
So like really, um, there's two sides of the story, right? One is that they could just be bad like these guys are. Sorry, I, I just got to be direct. But they could also just not be informed or just not know all the things you know, right? So I think this is, uh, you know, what you said. Check out what other people have. Old Wasp is cool. Um, so below, yeah. There's, there's so many different things. There's so many. There's always like new security things coming out. Like I was kind of surprised about, I think there's a couple of things in the Phoenix documentation that tell you like to make sure that you renew sessions or something like that. Like I just read through the documentation. I just saw this. I was like, really? Okay, interesting. But I think a good kind of step is kind of see what other people have done and kind of break it down too. So if you look at the Phoenix Gen Auth, like that part is pretty rock solid. In fact, you're talking about, we're talking about timing attacks. Uh, when we're, after we did that, I started digging through the source code bcrypt because that's what comes in default when you're using Mac or Linux. And that one, I went actually <laughs> dug into the NIF and look at the C code. And that one actually has a comment there saying constant time to avoid timing attacks. So I was like, Phew. you know, like, and this, and that comes out of the, the default Phoenix Gen Auth stuff, right? So I think look at Phoenix Gen Auth, see how that one worked. And a couple other of these other kind of big time ones. And if you need to use something else, yeah, really take a look at it and see how it is and compare it to others. Yeah, I, I don't know. Security is kind of tough because it's ever changing, right? There's all these new kinds of techniques and everything else. I mean, I wish I had some more interesting stories. It's mostly just like, wow, I can't believe this guy. <laughs> uh, like trying to tell me that a, a div tag goes inside of a P tag or the other way around. I don't know. It's just crazy shit. This guy talks about sorry bad bad memories that's yeah that's yeah that that's not really useful to be fair i, I most of the things i've learned i i was really lucky also to have a colleague at talk desk uh called sergio uh, sergio Sren, i think that was it yeah and he was a security expert and he was proper secu a proper security expert. Whenever I uh, went up to him and asked, "Okay, can you explain uh, explain me how uh, cross site cross site scripting works?" and he basically instead of explaining it by words only, he told me, "Okay, give me one day. I'll show you an example." The next day, he had a bunch of code showing. So this is how you do a cross site scripting attack, and he actually builds a small example uh, with HTML and JS. Look, I can show you a cute game or where you click, 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 and you don't even know you're actually clicking on the site beneath. So there's there's really, that that isn't a cross-site uh, cross scripting attack, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, point being, I, I was lucky to have an expert, a proper expert teach me, and that part should be due diligence, right? Whenever you hire someone that supposedly is an expert, reach out to your existing team to understand if... What's their gut feeling? Does, is it helping? Is it not? Is it money well spent? Did they learn anything? Because when you hire an expert, I would expect that expert to actually teach you stuff. And if you end up in a position of, okay, I already knew that and your input is actually not that valuable, maybe the company is losing money with that person Well, while it could be hiring someone else. Also, kind of going back to what Alan was saying, uh, the fact that Bcrypt also includes constant time checking, it really shows that we're not building our code on top of uh, we're not building our code in an isolated island. We're building on top of abstractions and abstractions. So whenever you add a dependency, try to check issues, try to check pull requests, try to understand what's the history of that dependency, at least kind of an I-level approach, even just looking at the change log, potential past security problems, et cetera, et cetera. It's always useful. It's always valuable because you end up learning more about the tool you're going to use, about that new abstraction you're adding. 
and and you'll see how it, it evolved if there were any problems it, it just becomes way easier if you start to kind of learning bit by bit and adding this kind of small small practices that will kind of drive up your your code quality and your concern about code i think there, there's a lot of lot of benefit in general to be gained in having people on hand which really know what they're talking about i feel at least from my personal experience those were the times in my career where i feel feel i learned the most so if you can find somebody in your company who maybe like Philippe is like passionate about the thing, just grab them and don't let go. <laughs> and then, then you'll probably learn, learn, learn more about those things uh, than you ever could, or not ever could, but could, le less amount of time, learn more amount of things. Yeah, it becomes a facilitator, right? It's just, yeah. a, it's just a way of reaching an end goal. It, it just, you basically use a shortcut. <laughs> it's it's way easier. And again, you can also find those people online. There's if you go to communities concerned about it, even for example, sublo developers, maybe if you reach out to them and ask them, okay, can you give me some hints on, on how to improve? They'll probably be happy to to help and, and be okay with helping you out. Uh, for example, that's why one of the biggest things about Elixir, uh, the, the Elixir ecosystem, the community is really open, really helpful. Every time I reached out to someone asking for some feedback on anything or any question I had, everyone was really kind and everyone kind of just gave a bit of their input and I've learned way faster than I should. So don't be scared to ask questions. No one knows everything and don't think you should know everything. Just be okay with asking questions and be be happy that we're in a really helpful, kind community. Yeah, 100% plus one on that. I think asking questions is also something maybe... Some of our listeners, I'm not sure like what about the experience level of all of our listeners are, but I do remember when I started out as a developer, I was assuming that maybe at some point you kind of not not know it all, but you stop asking questions. And to be honest, the reverse has been true. Like I'm, I'm asking more questions now the more experience I have. So asking questions is not even allowed it's actually i think good in, when in doubt ask more questions than less and really try to to understand what you are using and but it goes beyond just building things and coding things and understanding how maybe for example a timing attack works but also it goes into all, all the adjacent areas of like asking people you're working with about things and, and asking stakeholders about what the frick you're even supposed to build and <laughs> so on and so forth yeah i'm not sure at what point of development that are live in general people think that asking questions is a problem <laughs> but the, yeah that's the truth everyone i've worked with multiple junior developers and they were the the most common thing was i'm sorry if this if this question is stupid but i need to ask it no question is stupid everyone was in a position in their past where they felt probably the question wasn't the most interesting or the most direct or whatever it, it might have not been the best question but it was a question they needed to move forward people shouldn't be afraid of asking questions and no question is stupid because everyone was on that position so and i think that seniority kind of brings that everyone for example for me a senior developer is just one that is really good at google more than anything else uh, or and by that i mean they're really good at getting their answers they're really good at asking the question to a tool to a person and just condense that question in such a good way or their doubt in such a good way that they're able to properly convene what was the problem properly convene what's the intended solution or what they intend with the solution and people are able to help them out via blog post via issue via talk by by anything so for me seniority is more on that side is the communication versus whatever versus tech tech ability tech 
coding ability, whatever. It's way more important to be a better communicator to your team and to even your community and everyone else to kind of reach that seniority. That That's way more important for me in terms of, of as I see a senior. It's that capability. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I can definitely plus two plus one on that. Um, I'm curious, Philippe, I mean, we already talked about asking questions. We talked about potentially getting a mentor, right? Like being curious. If you could give advice to your past self about how to best start with all the security stuff, what would you tell yourself? Just build stuff. I think that's the, the main the main thing. Whenever you... So you, you could study... This is, again, big grain of salt. This is the way I learned the best. It's by building stuff. It, I have a bunch of side projects. None of them launched. <laughs> but I have the, a bunch of repos in private, a bunch of domains that will never, never see the light of day. But at least I've built them. I have a bunch of things that I've used. I have, I have a bunch of things that I've tried. But I have a bunch of codes. Some of them probably will never see the light of day. Hopefully some will. But the reality is, as I build, I find more and more questions I need to ask. The more questions I need to ask, the deeper my knowledge goes. And if, if, I, if I had to tell anything to my past self, it would be just build stuff. And not stuff for your work. Try to abstract that. Try to get away from that. Build stuff for your work on your work time, but know to separate that. And then do a side project you like. Even if it's, I don't know, get a list of Pokemon cards and, and rate them by value in, in markets. By doing that, you'll probably inter need to interact with APIs. You'll need to interact with security stuff. For example, the API might need a token. What kind of token? Bearer token. What does that mean? You kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you find those concepts. So I think that's the best advice I, I could give anyone. If it's your way of learning, build stuff. Because as soon as you start to build stuff and communicating with other services, you'll start to find small quirks, small things you'll, you'll need to take care of. And that's, that's what drives you to, to basically go that extra mile of asking more questions. That plus search for your community. Again, ask the question on your community. What are the tools I can use to better deepen my knowledge on next area? In this case, probably people would point me out to Sobolo, which I probably use. And then I would see, okay, I'll run it in my code at work or in a side project, and I would see, okay, I have a bunch of high-level security problems I need to fix. How? What What do they entail? What do they mean? So I think it's that. It's keeping curiosity up by building stuff. At least that works really well for me. That makes sense to me. And it's, I feel that is an answer to quite many questions in our industry. Just build stuff <laughs> and stay curious. It is. <laughs> yeah. Even even yesterday, I was seeing... Do you know the Primogen? I think that's the, the way you pronounce it. There's a really famous no. Twitch developer now. Uh, he works at Netflix. He's in love with Rust. He hates TypeScript. He has all of those <laughs> small influencer stuff. But he's actually he's an awesome developer. And he just launched a video saying, yeah, you should build stuff. And I fully agree with that. As soon as you start to build stuff outside of your work hours or even within your work hours, kind of one hour thing. Okay, if it doesn't bother your employer, if you are, if you build something outside of the scope of your work in a different language, in a, even if it's in your language, but a different framework, you'll learn so much and your curiosity will find new things. And that then compounds to your day-to-day -day life. You'll find something from your pastime that actually fits your work. You'll remember, okay, I actually remember that using bearer tokens can be dangerous in X, Y, and Z situation. Okay, cool. I know that because I did a side project. Then, So yeah, building stuff is 
really important. As long as you don't, in your off hours, please don't work for your work, <laughs> work for yourself and your curiosity, and then let that kind of transpire into to your work. Yeah, thank you for that, Felipe. Alan, do you have any anything you'd like to know from Felipe? Because I feel I feel we we got a good, well-rounded perspective on on this topic right now. Yeah, no, I mean it's just I mean I brought up, I think quite a few things that people don't really think about security, right? Like a lot of people don't think about the atom getting overflown or even large binaries, things like that. It's it's crazy how some mundane that some of these things are. Like people always think about, oh, you know, he injected my you know injected my SQL with some stuff, but it. It could be other things, right? You don't really know. It's like, and the other thing too is like, don't forget that we're working, you know, we're using OpenSSL when we build our our uh, Erlang stuff from source, I think. That's been, you know, even though, even though OpenSSL is like one of the widest used and looked at pieces of software, I had Heartbleed many years ago, right? I think it had a couple of exploits recently. At least two I can think of for sure, Heartbleed. But I think there was one or two others happened somewhat recently. I um, think there was, at least I think Erlang actually had a, an issue with a library recently. There's a new CV there. That's that's actually another good reference to learn more about security. Uh, GitHub has a, a CV repository, which is basically a, a repository for vulnerabilities. Even checking, okay, what's happening in Elixir, in the Elixir world? You can go to GitHub, security advisory, if I'm not mistaken, Elixir, and then just see the top 10, for example. By by uh, by how serious they are. Even that stuff, ju that just that quick research could lead you to a rabbit hole of oh, I didn't know that, and I'm actually using something that it's dangerous. That could be actually a good segue to the mix audit dependency, which is another dependency developed by the community that actually checks this list of CVEs to see if one of your uh, dependencies has an issue. So you can actually automate it in your CI to say, okay, there's a new CVE. We need to bump up the version for dependency X, Y, or Z. So again, tooling helping out you to build the knowledge and tooling helping you to become a better coder without needing to think that much because it's automated until a certain point. So that's the other that's why I'm really big fan of these these tools. It's that they warn you, they help you achieve the goal of making your code more secure. But it can they can also teach you because then you can see, okay, why did it trigger? CV one eight nine whatever whatever you go to the security advisory you check what actually is happening why that CV was was published and then you look into the details and see okay okay now I know a new thing I know a new attack I know a new problem in security that I need to be more aware in the future so yeah that big fan of tooling big fan of just building stuff and a big fan of just keeping yourself really curious with a lot of curiosity about the, about this area and any other area. Yeah, there's a website with cbe.meter.org, M-I-T-R-E.org. You can punch in Elixir and you can see all the Elixir CBEs that were reported. Not too bad. It's uh, The latest one is 2021, but that one's talking about Stark Bank Elixir ECDSA library. Yeah, they kind of list a lot of the stuff out. The other thing too that I like to do is I, I because uh, I, I do consulting, right? And so a lot of these companies, I still use PHP out here. So I punch in Elixir and I show them, you know, oh, it's look at how, how few there is. And then I punch in PHP and it's just like endless list of CVEs on here. So it is helpful to get clients and get people interested in using Elixir rather than PHP or most other technologies. Doing Java. <laughs> You're doing the good work. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you know, what, what is it like facts oh, and for and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> this is look at this one. I just punched in, I just punched in PHP and it looks like the CVEs are always judge CVE dash and then the year. So it's already 2023 on here for for PHP. Oh damn, yeah. It's <laughs> pretty it's, it's only the third day, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, usually what I see is PHP and Python are usually really really 
up there. But to be fair, because they're also really used, that's the, the, the tricky part. So it's way more fun to attack those vectors. <laughs> but on the other side, yeah, there's let's not put aside that Elixir is built on, on Beam, which has existed for 20 more years and it's solid. <laughs> There's not a lot of CVs on the Beam side for a reason. Elixir itself seems to be highly secure, even with way more usage than, than we had 10 years ago. So yeah, it's just a really solid language if you are in the, the secure side of things. It's, it seems to be a really solid language. And even other stuff, for example, Log4j, the, the, the panic that Log4j was for the Java community. People kind of forgot that by now, I guess. But it was a proper panic. It, it was one of the most serious things that happened recently in security. And it was due to a dependency. And the fact that, for example, Elixir, the logger is developed within the core team, it's a big bonus. Uh, even building tools. Uh, build tools for other languages have security issues. Well, Mix is built by the core team. And it's really solid. Documentation probably has a bunch of security issues in some other languages. In this scenario, since it's developed by the core team, even if it has issues, it will be quickly patched up. Just the fact that the core team is able to build a lot of the tooling that everyone needs to do on their daily life without adding extra dependencies, that's a major win. And even some some other things where, for example, the fact that Elixir actually comes bundled with an XML interpreter by using uh, XML XML, you shouldn't need a dependency there, and you're using a battle-tested XML XML parser and, and constructor. There's a bunch of low-level Erlang things that you can use. You could add abstractions on top of it. Some libraries are just abstractions on top of Erlang stuff. And at the end of the day, yeah, you could remove those abstractions at a later point if you want to secure your code a bit more, but they're available. So you're it's a really secure stack, in my opinion. Even compared to others I've worked with, it's way more secure than I'm, I'm used to. I'm, I'm having flashbacks to Maven. I'm having flashbacks to NPM. <laughs> uh, I'm having flashbacks to a lot of other, uh, a lot of other things. Okay, I actually have one more question for you, Felipe, because um, we basically talked about security, like in this tech bubble right now. But I do imagine that we have probably have a bazillion people out there which work in a team where they don't necessarily have somebody dedicated to security and where they, I guess, like where, where management, people making decisions, what's, what's being built, also don't have that perspective. So is there some advice you could give to somebody whether maybe they do try out Zobolo, right? And they realize, hey, okay, we actually have some warnings. And they realize, oh, damn, this is not trivial to fix. So now I've got to talk to somebody and tell them, hey, this is the thing we need, we need to fix. And maybe management says, no. So what, what your, what, 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 maybe you have some, some war stories there or some, some things you can give those people to, to help I don't, make the argument? I don't think, yeah, I don't think I have a specific war story. Maybe a way to, first of all, uh, understand your, your, when you're picking a war, understand what war you're picking and against who. So imagine that you're talking with man a manager and the manager kind of ignores you and say, okay, yeah, security doesn't matter that much. I just want to uh, push this feature out of the door because we're late. Uh, we need to ship it by Q, X, Y, because th there's always that conversation of, oh, Q1, we need to deliver 10 features and we're behind that. There's always that conversation. For that kind of scenario for a manager, just just show them the money loss the security issue brings. So go to the news and see, okay, what happened? What, why did this company add downtime? Why LastPass is losing customers? Why... Uh, <laughs> 
why Log4j was a problem and give a specific example of a breach. I think it, uh, I think Log4j, I think it was a, uh, what was it? I know, I'm not sure if Log4j was the credit, the credit company of that. There was a credit rating company in the US that had a massive leak, but I don't Equifax. think that was Log4j. I think it was Log4j. Equifax. Equifax, yeah. Was it? I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But again, it, you just need to find news where hacker stopped X for X amount of time. DDoS stopped X for X amount of time and tell them, look, this is the problems we're facing. This is the kind of thing that could happen to our company. The, the amount of time we need to spend on this is X by my estimate. We can split it up and let's even do, I don't know, a task force of security. Just leave two or three developers kind of cleaning up code, checking that this doesn't mess up too much the CI so it doesn't impact too much. Start with, for example, sub-low, only high security issues, and then move to medium and then move to low. Kind of step-by-step win their hearts by showing them that it's actually really dangerous to have a leak, to have downtime. And most of those things, if they're not errors on the the infrastructure, which are probably the most common cause, for example, for, for downtime, there's actually downtime by DDoS. So, and that's an attack vector that exists and potentially could disrupt the business. So just show them that there's money involved. That's, I can, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the end of this, the, the advice is show anyone non-technical that there's money involved. There's loss of customers. There's loss of, loss of clients. There's loss of revenue. And by then they'll kind of go, Oh, okay. Let's, let's research that at least. And by then they'll go, you just need to do that step-by-step situation of let's be sure that it's not also too disruptive because the reality is whatever you're developing, your product is paying your bills. And if it needs to be developed, that's the reality. It needs to be developed. So try to find a plan that it's not too disruptive for day-to-day life, even if you kind of push for a small team to do this and just show them that it's really dangerous to keep it as is, money-wise, money-wise and client-wise and reputation-wise. Yeah. Follow the money, I think. Uh, it's also yeah, it's, surprising, surprisingly often effective. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a mix of sad, but true. <laughs> it's money, it's the end goal for all companies. Let's not lie to ourselves. And showing that impact will help you immensely on, on proving your point. Also, another thing. Yeah, sorry. If security is tricky for developers, it's way trickier for non-tech people. So also be kind, be aware that a lot of the times the the fight against implementing X, Y, and Z probably comes from a source of not fully understanding the scope of, of what's happening. And again, be kind, be calm, and be assertive about why something should happen. Because if if you are aggressive, on explaining why something needs to happen, they're just burning bridges. It, it won't help. So again, it goes back to that idea of communication is key to a lot of this, a lot of these conversations. Makes sense. Thank you, Philippe. Okay. Um, is there anything you would like to tell our listeners before we um, get go to picks? And also, one last thing: How would people reach you if they wanted to talk to you? Okay. So one last thing to say to to the listeners. Just have fun. <laughs> Let security be one of those subjects that might entertain you because there's really interesting hacks out there that some of them are a bit comedic, some of them are a bit scary. So see, see them as a, almost as a novel. <laughs> you're one day you're reading a drama, and the other day you're reading a comedy. 
but you'll find really interesting stuff out there in the community. So just have fun and, and see this as a subject that is interesting and don't be daunted by the, the, the size or complexity of the field. As for how to reach me out, I have a Twitter account, so Philippe Cabaco altogether. And that's basically the handle for GitHub, for GitHub and basically everything, I guess. Um, and yeah, that, that's how you can kind of ping me. More than happy to, to chat about anything. Nice. Thank you. So, as usual, we go to picks, and Alan, is there a Rust book this week? No, actually, again, <laughs> I keep playing, like, crazy amount of Steam these days. So, I just started playing with uh, emulated stuff on the Steam Deck. I've had a lot of fun. So, like, all these games, like, uh, one of my favorite games ever is Metal Gear Solid. Solid game, if you haven't tried it out. So, I've been replaying it since, I don't know, since I was a wee kid. Right. So, I got this thing called the Emu Deck. It's uh, you can software you can install on your thing, on your Steam Deck. You can play, like, nearly everything except for Xbox 360, I think. It's the only one I had been able to get working. But yeah, I think it's pretty cool to check it out. The product's pretty cool. Yeah, I was just looking for more games to download. I was just downloading a couple right now because Sega Genesis games are just like less than a megabyte big. So I just downloaded a bunch. So, uh, and I own these games, okay? So don't come to my home. <laughs> I own these games. I'll find them at my parents' house if, in case somebody comes finding me. <laughs> <laughs> nice, thank you. Okay, I have two picks this week. One is a nerd pick and the second is a deeply personal pick. So, Alan, I'm going to make you choose. What should I pick first? Let's go deeply personal. I'm going to get okay. in touch with the inner Sasha. <laughs> inner Sasha. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to pick my deeply personal pick for this week is a book called ADHD 2.0 because I recently got diagnosed with ADHD and it explains a whole lot of things of my life. And the thing about ADHD is everybody knows it, but it's, there's so many stereotypes attached to it. So many stereotypes. And this book is basically the, the a collection of what the current scientific understanding of ADHD is. It's written by two doctors from the States. It's very US, US-y in the way they write. <laughs> but those two doctors both also have ADHD and they talk about their own lived experiences, but also what the science is saying about it. And if you know somebody with ADHD, if you have maybe somebody in your family with ADHD or you have ADHD yourself and want to understand it better, then seriously, this book, I can't recommend it enough. ADHD 2.0. And my nerd pick is, as usual, a game. It's called Exapunks. And Exapunks is a game about hacking. And you hack these little, you, you write code for these little robots, which then have to do tasks in networks. It's a very abstracted and like UI focused way of doing it. Like they actually move around on screen. Um, but it is kind of coding. You're kind of coding assembly in, a, in one way or another. So it, it's fun. It, it's also one of these games which is very much focused on optimizing. So maybe the first time you do it, you solve a puzzle and then it tells you how did you rank against everybody else, maybe against friends on your friend list, but also globally. And it shows you like little statistics and then somebody solved this in like half the number of cycles than you did. And then you start thinking, oh, wait, how, how can I cut cycles? And yeah, it, it, it gets in your brain in just the right way. <laughs> so that is something I, I've played on, on and off. It's not something I can play for hours on end, but it is fun if I want like a, like a cheap coding fix without having to dig into something too deeply. So Exapunks, it's on Steam. It's also currently on sale, maybe when we air this episode, no longer. So sorry if that's the truth. Okay, uh, Felipe, what are your picks? Yeah, I'm going back to Elixir because it's a problem. <laughs> it's it's uh, my work and my hobby. So I have three people I want to shout out. So first of them is uh, Peter Ulrich, PJ Ulrich in Twitter. He has a bunch of really good series on Ecto and how to build stuff with Ecto. So it's really good to deepen your knowledge in Ecto. He also has a book about how to build uh, tables with live view published by Pragmatic Programmers. 
So a really good person to follow. He writes a lot of good stuff and he can be really help you out with a, a, a bunch of ideas for your Ecto exploits. My third, my second pick, it's a book by Svilin Gospodinov. I think, I hope I didn't kill his name, but the book is called Concurrent Data Processing in Elixir. Uh, I'm shouting out this one because I've read it recently uh, again, and it's a really good book that basically covers a lot of the things OTP is good about, uh, namely concurrency. But then it extends to the usage of flow, which is a concurrent. Uh, it uses GenStage to kind of abstract GenStage, and it's really good. And then it extends that into Broadway. So you basically see you build up from the roots of OTP into a GenStage dependency to flow dependency to Broadway dependency, just kind of build out this story about concurrent data processing in Elixir. And it's really a really good read and easy, uh, easy to, to, to follow along. And finally, my third pick, it's from Andrea Leopardi, one of the core developers of Elixir and a bunch of, our, of the tools we love. Uh, he just published a video called Protowackers in Elixir Day Zero, Setup and Smoke Test. So Protowackers is a challenge where you basically have a website and you need to build a server that complies to a bunch of tests they give you. So we just see Andrea kind of going in and building an HTTP server, uh, sorry, a TCP server that for this view, it's, it's just echoing, but you can see that he uses, uh, uses GenTCP, which is included in Erlang. He uses text, uh, tasks and task supervision, and he kind of goes through the, the steps to get to a echo TCP server with no nothing other than Elixir and some Erlang libraries. So, and it seems that it, it will become a series. I hope so. <laughs> I'm kind of pushing this this conversation so we can kind of continue delivering on this because I'm I'm really keen on seeing the, the end result of this. And as a, a core developer of Elixir, I'm really keen to see what kind of code it produces at the end. And yeah, those are my three picks. Oh, mm. maybe a fourth pick. Go oh, go wow. play eighties okay. again. Yeah. <laughs> go play eighties again. I might have been <laughs> binge gaming again eighties since the, the the announcement of the the second the, the sequel that is coming out and it's still a marvelous game go play ideas again <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so uh, thank you Filippi, for being on the show and it was, was a pleasure talking to you thank you so much really big pleasure to be here and i had a really good conversation thank you so much and thank you all of you for listening to this and tune in next time when we have another episode of elixir mix bye